Hello. In this episode, Sharon and Gloria will be diving into the topic of the kafala system, specifically by focusing on how it affects domestic workers in Lebanon. They are joined by a representative from This is Lebanon, an organization set up to help domestic workers who are victims of exploitation and or abuse under the kafala system, and who also fight for the abolishment of the kafala system and the introduction of reformed labor laws that respect the rights and dignity of domestic workers. But more on that later. A content warning is necessary, as when discussing this topic, there is mention of sexual abuse and other forms of domestic abuse. With that mentioned, I will hand off to Gloria and Sherelle for the rest of the podcast. We hope you enjoy, and without further delay, hello, you're listening to The Mastery Diplomat. Hello, lovely people, and welcome back to the second episode of the mini-series podcast, Don't Forget About Us. And in this episode, Gloria and I are discussing the reality of being a domestic foreign worker currently in Lebanon. More specifically, we're going to discuss the kafala system. And today we have a special guest from the NGO This Is Lebanon, an NGO who is working with the domestic foreign workers in Lebanon. But now we'll give you an overview on what is the kafala system and why are we talking about Lebanon? Yes, and who better to talk to us about it than our very own Lebanese, Sherelle. Um, so, as Sherelle said, we are going to talk about Lebanon and this is because the country is going through an economic crisis. However, we feel that it's important to point out that the kafala system is not only in Lebanon, it doesn't only exist in Lebanon, but in most Arab countries like Kuwait, Jordan, Saudi Arabia and so on. But we're talking about Lebanon specifically because the country is going through an economic crisis of devastating proportions, a global pandemic, as is the rest of the world, and is now living the aftermath of the August 4th explosion of the Beirut harbour. Right, Sherelle? Yes, exactly. And you have to remember also that with with the economic crisis and the global pandemic and the aftermath of the August 4th explosion comes the reality that Lebanon is actually came out from a very recent civil war that happened in 1975 till 1991, 1992. So it's pretty fresh, so to say, like my parents are a generation of that war. And... Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, that's very recent. But so what does the economic crisis look like? So the economic crisis in Lebanon started in August 2019. Well, in practice, it started in 2019 because the mm. Lebanese pound started to lose its value drastically against the the US dollar, but the signs were there. <laughs> so for instance, the Lebanese pound has been pegged to the US dollar at a rate of 1,500 Lebanese pounds per $1 since 1997. And now it's at a rate of 13,000, 14,000, and it changes every single day. So what does it mean that it's at a rate this high? Well, first of all, this is the rate in the black market. Mm -hmm. Officially, if you go now and Google how much is the rate of the Lebanese pound, it's still 1,500, weirdly enough. But oh, wow. you can't really find the US dollar in Lebanon at that rate. So now the situation in Lebanon is like this. Some people have access to the US dollars mm -hmm. and some people don't. And the people 
people who don't are facing dire circumstances. They have no access to food. They have no access to medication. They are under the poverty line. Yeah, and that's something that I didn't know before I talked to you that much, is that the dollar is actually used in daily transactions in Lebanon, which is why not being able to buy dollars is so important and it's so detrimental to society, right? Precisely. The Lebanese pound is directly linked to the US dollar, which makes the dollar have a huge impact or a huge influence on the economy in Lebanon. So right now, if you don't have access to dollars, it means if you have a shop, for example, you can't buy any products and you can't sell any products. And if you have to sell them, you have to see at what rate the dollar is today. So you wouldn't lose any money. Or if it's if it goes down a bit, you have to make up for the money you lost in other days. So a lot of shops closed, a lot of people lost their businesses, a lot of people lost their employment. And this brings us to the topic of today, because what's important about the kafala workers in Lebanon is that these people work as domestic workers. So they come and they work in the houses of people and their employers used to give them their paycheck or their salary in US dollars and they can then send it back to their parents, which would make a lot of money back home. So now with the economic crisis, people are no longer able to pay their workers. And with with the economic crisis and the pandemic and the aftermath of the explosion, you can probably imagine the situation of these workers right now. Absolutely. I imagine it's very hard for them. And I do remember we read articles of workers abandoned outside their own embassies of workers stranded because nobody could afford that ticket back home. The local government didn't care. Their home government didn't give it much importance and they were just left alone in a, in a constant limbo. Exactly. And you also have to remember that when the pandemic started, all the airports were shut down. So even if you had the chance to leave, you couldn't because the airports are closed. And then when the airports reopened, the Lebanese pound dropped in value against the US dollar. So it's a very weird situation to be in. Absolutely. So to our listeners who might not be familiar with the concept of the kafala, so kafala in Arabic literally means sponsorship, correct? Yes, exactly. And basically what the system does is a visa system, so to say. Mm -hmm. So basically under this system, local individuals, families or companies as well, but we are focusing on, on individuals and families for this episode. So the system allows them to employ foreign workers and in so doing, it allows the foreign workers to have an in-country sponsors, which is usually usually their employer, who is then responsible for the visa and the legal status. And what makes it so different from work visas we might know is that the workers is absolutely tied to their employers and they are not protected by labor law, correct? Yes, exactly. So under the kafala system, the domestic foreign worker has no legal advantages, so to say. Their passports, sometimes their mobile phones, sometimes their belongings are, let's say, confiscated in between air quotes by their employer. And their rights fall under the Ministry of Interior Affairs. So they are excluded from labor law. And that means different circumstances or different criterias apply to their contract or to their employment. And working conditions, right? Exactly. And also, this system arose a while ago, correct? 
The system arose from growing demand in the Gulf economies for cheap labor. These workers come from countries like Southeast Asia, from Africa, and they come and they used to get paid in dollars, which make them a lot of money back home. So, according to statistics, Lebanon is home to more than 250,000 migrant domestic workers, of which 97% are female, coming, as Sherelle said, from Africa or Asian countries and working in private household. Well, those statistics were issued in 2009 by the Lebanese Ministry of Labor, but some people say that there's way more now. And so... What we really wanted to talk about in this episode is that, imagine this, the economic crisis added to the COVID-19 pandemic, added to the aftermath of the August 4th explosion of the Beirut harbor. You're a domestic worker living in Lebanon right now. You have no control over your legal status. You cannot leave and at some point you cannot stay. So what to do now? Local media reports indicated that since March 2020, at least seven migrant domestic workers have taken their own lives. And Human Rights Watch documented in 2008 that migrant domestic workers were dying at a rate of more than one per week, with suicide and attempted escapes being the leading causes of death. Wow, that is heartbreaking. Absolutely shocking. Yep, and so to dive further into this reality. In this episode, we're having a conversation with Patricia, a representative from This is Lebanon, an NGO based in Lebanon that aims to empower domestic workers, informing them of their rights and supporting their access to justice. And so providing legal support, as well as campaigning for their rights and an increased awareness of their condition in the country. Hi, Patricia. Hi, thanks for having me. That's our pleasure. So, Patricia, of course, from your perspective, having lived in Lebanon for a long time and working with this organisation, do you want to give us an overview of the general situation for kafala workers? What is, first of all, a kafala system? Okay, so under the kafala system, a domestic worker is tied to her employment. So her legal status in the country is tied to the employer. So she can't leave. Like in most jobs... If you're unhappy for any reason, you can quit, right? But if you're a domestic worker, you cannot quit. You have no right to quit. So if your boss is sexually harassing you, if you haven't been paid, for any number of reasons you want to leave, you can't. You need the permission of your employer. And generally, that's not given. So your only real option is to run away. And then if you run away, you become undocumented and that presents itself with its own set set of problems. And often if if a worker does run away, the employer, even if they haven't been paid for months on end, the employer will go and lodge a false accusation of theft against the worker. So they'll end up in prison at some stage. Oh, wow. That is a tough situation indeed. Who are these workers normally? Where are they from? We did read articles and study, and in Lebanon, they appear to be mostly women, right? Uh, Not mostly. They're all women. They're 100% (laughs) women. It would be very, very rare. I've never come across a house where they would employ a male domestic worker, especially not a live-in domestic worker. So these are generally women aged between 18 and 25, although we have come across girls as young as 14 
who've had fake passports. 14. So that's the youngest we've come across. We've had a few actually that were 14, Ethiopians usually. So about 80% of them are Ethiopian and the other 20% are from all kinds of countries. So Nigeria, Ghana, Philippines, those are the main ones that come to mind. But from a number of African and Asian countries, Sri Lanka, Philippines, Nepal, Bangladesh is a huge sending country. All right. I have a question. Since you said that they um, are all women, I wanted to ask something to make it more understandable for our listeners. Does the kafala system include or concern the workers who come and work within households and families? Or does the kafala system also cover or include the people who work, for example, in factories, not just households? Any foreigner in Lebanon who's working is under the kafala system. So be they American or Ethiopian, they come under the kafala system. But there are categories of workers. So the kafala system groups people into four different categories. So an American working as a, I don't know what, but would be like category one, maybe a teacher or something like that. But domestic workers are category four. So there, are, there is a picking order in the kafala system. And then what's the legal situation? Because I do know that the kafala workers do, are not under labor law, but they are under the Ministry of Interior Affairs. So how does that impact their situation? Domestic workers as a category are specifically excluded by the labor laws in Lebanon. So that means that they have no legal coverage under the labor laws, which is problematic. Absolutely, because that brings some risks with it, right? So what are the most common risks faced by this worker not being, as you said, protected by labor law? Well, the problem is that anything can happen behind closed doors, right? So generally in a work situation, um, people are aware of what's going on. But with these women, no, no one knows what their problems are because it's all happening in what is considered private space. So even neighbours are very reluctant to get involved, even if they know there's abuse going on next door. When I was living in Lebanon, my neighbour came rushing over to my house and she said, quick, quick, come. And she'd heard down on the footpath below a woman beating up her domestic worker. And by the time I got there, they had disappeared. But I was like, well, why didn't you do something? You know, why didn't you get involved? And she's like, you know, the idea just would not have occurred to her that she would get involved and do something. Because these workers are almost considered to be private property and you just don't get involved. Yes, and there's also this common idea, or I think it's even in the law, because even if there is a domestic abuse that doesn't even concern the foreign worker, legal procedures are not taken into process because it's considered a family issue. And I think this also adds to <laughs> adds to that idea or to that ideology of it's a family issue, it's a private issue, it's a household, we don't yeah. get involved. And it also complicates the process to actually protect the rights of those workers. Often employers say to us, if we're doing negotiations with an abusive employer, often they will say, oh, but she's like our daughter and she's one of the family. And whenever they say that to me, it's just, it's a red flag because it's often used to cover up abuse. 
even Lebanese women themselves who are victims of domestic violence, they find it very difficult to get help. So you just um, multiply that um, out to the nth degree for um, a migrant domestic worker. A very, very vulnerable population. Indeed. And there are, up to date, there are 250,000 kafala workers in Lebanon. And it's one of the region in the Middle East where there are the most, where the practice is the most common. Actually, that's that's an often quoted figure, but we think it's way, way low. So prior to the crisis, who knows how many are left in the country now, but prior to the crisis, we estimate that there were about a half a million domestic workers in the country because the statistics by the Ministry of Labour don't include undocumented workers and we think that there are at least as many undocumented as there are documented. So that 250,000 is much lower than it should be. That's impressive. And as you were saying before, they face many risks and it goes beyond abuse. It goes also to having little to no time for themselves, having ridiculous working hour, having their documents taken away from them. Right. So it's a whole situation that tackles different human rights, if we will. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that happens when a woman arrives at the airport to work for a family is that general security take the passport off her and hand it to the madame. And generally, that's the last time they will see their passport until they leave. And if they manage to obtain it, we've had employees say she stole her passport, which is her identity document. You can't steal your own passport. And that's just the beginning of the problems. So once they arrive, about 75% of them have no freedom of movement, no day off. When I was living there, the domestic worker in the apartment next to me used to run over to my house and then tap on the door and I would call her family for her and she would make a quick Skype call for like two or three minutes. And the whole time she'd be trembling that the family would come home and find her outside the house. And then she would run back to the apartment. So because she was only allowed one phone call a month, which is all she was entitled to under the contract. Her phone was confiscated. She had no way of contacting her family. So that's just normal. She was one of the lucky ones. That is terrible. That is very sad. No, that's normal. That is Lebanon normal. Yes, unfortunately, it is normal. I wanted to ask you now that we've talked a bit about the situation of the domestic workers who come with the kafala system or work under the kafala system in Lebanon, their unlimited working hours and no days off, and they don't even have access to their legal documents or to their private properties, which is their phone, to contact their families. But I wanted to ask you then, how did the COVID pandemic impact this situation? Because I do remember before I left Lebanon, they were stuck in a limbo. They couldn't go back home, and yet they were jobless in Lebanon. Yeah. So one of the first consequences of COVID was an uptick in sexual abuse because pre-COVID, the man was outside the house and when he came home, the, the wife would be there. But during COVID, the men were at home. And so we had a lot more um, complaints of sexual abuse. So that was one of the big problems during COVID. All, all of those problems that you talked about, the lack of freedom of movement, etc., all of that is bearable for a worker if she gets paid. But if you don't get paid, that's when the problems really set in. And many, many of these workers 
because of COVID and the economic collapse, they're not getting paid now. They're enslaved. So just this week, I was dealing with a woman from Nigeria who hasn't been paid for three years and seven months. So those, those kind of cases are unfortunately not rare. You know, we've had cases of the longest case we had was a woman who hadn't been paid for 20 years where the police had to break the door down. But we've had several cases where the woman weren't paid for 10 years. So someone said, this is Lebanon is digging up the dead. And that's what we're doing. We're finding a woman whose families thought they had actually died and we've managed to track them down and get them home. Oh, wow, that is terrible. I've read in case of abuse, as you're describing this, really extreme situations that unfortunately appear to be quite common, the burden of proof seems to fall on the employer itself, not on the worker. So they can't, from what I understand, they can't really do anything to um, prove themselves. Right. So whenever we get a case, we always want to hear from both sides. So we'll contact the employer and ask for their side of the story. And we ask for receipts because in our experience, receipts never lie. You know, you can say you've um, treated her like your daughter and she's one of the family, but we want to see receipts. So it's easy to prove if you have paid your worker, show us receipts. Yes, exactly. If you want to prove it, you can always find a way to prove it. I wanted to ask you something because I remember when the corona first hit and the airports were shut down, uh, a lot of foreign workers were stuck in Lebanon. They couldn't go back home because it was either too expensive or just simply the airports were shut down. And they were also jobless because there was an economic crisis and there is still an economic crisis. So they weren't getting paid and they also couldn't go back home. What is the situation now? Yeah, so they were being basically thrown out like bags of garbage in front of the embassies. Now we're finding um, that employers sometimes say to us, well, at least I didn't throw her out in front of the embassy. Like, yeah, but you haven't paid it for two years. So kind. But they think that they're doing them a favor, actually, by giving them a roof over their head and food. So we say, well, no, she has a family where she comes from, and she did have a roof over her head and food. So you're not really doing her any great favor. She came to earn money. But we're not seeing that now the embassies have stepped up a little bit and provided shelters for these women. So we're not seeing them camped out in front of the embassies like they were before. But that doesn't mean the problem has been solved. It just means it's being hidden. And then in this particular situation, this is Lebanon had a campaign called Send Us Home. And so can you probably give us some information about what This Is Lebanon does? Sure. I mean, one of the main things we do is we we advocate for these women. So if they write to us and they say, I haven't been paid for X amount of months, then we will. It's basically a hostage negotiation. The best example, actually, is if I give you um, a case that I had last week where there was a woman from Ghana and she hadn't been paid for 16 months. So we called the employers and she started crying when I called. And she was like, yeah, we we just didn't see this coming, this crash and um, who saw it coming? And I was like, well, when you hadn't paid her for three months, that would have been the stage to say, okay, we're not going to be able to pay her and send her home, not 16 months later. But anyway, we offered to pay for her ticket home. So we paid for her ticket and her PCR test. And her madame owed her about 
over $3,000 salary. We negotiated and she paid her $1,600. She had to raise money from everyone she knew to pay that. And given the current circumstances in Lebanon and the fact that her husband is earning now $200 a month down from 1000 then we consider that a victory. So we, we are in those kind of situations where the girl hasn't been paid for months, sometimes years, offering to pay for their tickets home. And that's the, the Send Us Home campaign. So if people want to have a look at that, well, they can just go on to our website, thisislebanon.news, and there will be a link there to the Send Us Home campaign. But we've sent quite a few people home now. Right. Well, that's a great thing you're doing. It's quite impactful in the life of those women and, and workers who are so restricted in a way. And can you give us a bit more of an overview on how This Is Lebanon started, why it started and how it came to be? Sure. So there were three of us, basically, who were co-founders. And one of the main people is Dipendra Upreti. He's in Nepali. And he was a migrant worker in Lebanon for 15 years before he went to Canada and got asylum there. And during his time at the Nepali consulate, he saw over 100 young Nepali women go home in caskets and coffins. And he personally was responsible for the repatriation of 42 of those bodies. Basically, there's complete impunity for, for the rapes and murders that happen. You know, I myself was aware of a lot of this abuse and the women go home and there's no way for them to tell their stories. So we just wanted to bring some of the stuff out of the darkness into the light. And we thought that if we kept telling their stories, we really just wanted to give them a voice, actually. And we find that with many of the women, even if we're unable to recover their salary for them, they still feel like they've received some justice because they've had a chance to tell their story and they've been heard. So that was the story behind it. Just, In fact, we, we really never set out to do what we did, what we've become. We just wanted to bring the stories into the light. And we found almost instantly that new women were contacting us who were still in Lebanon asking for help. So we have effectively become the hotline and we never set out to be the hotline. So it just happened organically. Well, that's wonderful work you're doing. I'm really glad that This Is Lebanon is in <laughs> Lebanon helping out these women because they're literally on their own and it's really good for them to know that there are some organizations working with them and they are seeing their stories. But then in that context, how is your work perceived on the ground then? How, how is it seen? Well, the Lebanese government have tried to take down our website and that's by judicial order. So they've really tried to make us disappear, which is um, sad really because all of us who are involved in this is Lebanon actually really do love the country and it would be easier to do nothing. But we do this because we want to see a better Lebanon, a more just and equitable Lebanon. And if they would work with us instead of against us, then I, it would be much better for everybody. Well, yeah, and that partly answered our next question, although we never would have imagined that it got to it this extent. We wanted precisely to ask you if you had any limitations from the government or if there were any issues in communication and so forth, but there's actually 
that there was actually a confrontation. So from what you said, there are ongoing obstacles. But it's also very important what you say, I feel, when, when, you, when you talk about the fact that all of you do love Lebanon. You're not trying to harm the country or its government in any way, but you just want to hopefully make it better for people that do not have any sort of protection by giving them agency. Yeah, we're really grateful to the many Lebanese, actually, who work with us and support us. And we couldn't do what we do without mainly young Lebanese, actually, who realize that the system is slavery and what they want to see it gone. And so we're really grateful to those many Lebanese who stand with us. Well, yeah, I think the younger generation is slowly realizing that the kafala system is a very old system that doesn't work anymore. And we, re- we need it to end or stop because or it's... Or change. Or change, yeah. At, at least give the workers their rights, their passports. I mean, that's the minimum. Yeah. Then we wanted to talk about the kafala workers in Lebanon specifically because the kafala system in itself is an unjust system. It violates a lot of human rights. And specifically in Lebanon, we wanted to talk about it because Lebanon is in a peculiar situation right now or in a tricky situation right now. There's an economic collapse. There's the pandemic and also the aftermath of the explosion on August 4th. Can you maybe give us a little bit of uh, overview of the, the situation of the foreign workers after the August 4th blast? Sure. I mean, before the blast, their situation was dire, you know. But now, I, how can I find the right words to describe how difficult it is for these women now? So many of them are unemployed. They don't have a roof over their heads. There's there's no food. I mean, even Lebanese are fighting in the supermarkets. There's videos online of arguments over bags of rice. So how can these women survive? What what we really need is for the Lebanese government to create an amnesty because the situation we're facing is that even when they have the money for the ticket and have been cleared in many uh, instances, when they get to the airport, for example, there was a Nigerian woman who was injured in the blast And she got to the airport with her ticket and they wouldn't let her leave. They detained her and put her in prison. So this must stop. Any worker who has a ticket should be allowed to leave. Yeah, no, totally. And how do you think that the lack of coverage in the media and in public discussion is affecting not only your work, but also the situation on its own? Obviously, the the more coverage we get, the better it is. We need... We need attention on this. We need people to understand that these girls are basically trapped and they can't get home. If you're a domestic worker, you can't work. You don't have the ticket. General security want to charge you a fine to leave. What can you do? I mean, they're they're stranded. They're absolutely stranded. We need the attention of the world on this crisis. Absolutely. I've got a question that I might not have asked before, but why do they charge them a fine to leave the country? Is it because they do not respect the terms of the contract in that sense? No, because uh, the kafala system is what keeps general security going. It's a it's a multi-million dollar business. So general security relies on the money from the fines for overstaying or from the work permit. The whole system, the whole kafala system is what keeps general security going. Thank you for clarifying that. 
we wanted to ask you if there's any room for reform because on 8th of September 2020, Lebanon launched this new contract that would give more rights to the domestic workers. So I wanted to ask you, did it help in any way? And is it really implemented? And if you can give us a bit of information about that contract, what does it do actually? No, that, that contract never went through. It was stopped in its tracks by the um, syndicate of recruiting agents who are basically slave traders. So they they used their influence to stop that contract going through. Nothing happened. Oh my oh, god, wow, that okay. is sad. So it didn't it didn't actually do anything. It, they just launched it and then stopped it because of the agencies that get the foreign workers through and get them to Lebanon. Yeah, no, they they brought a judicial order to to stop it being implemented, and they were successful. Oh, oh wow. That is quite disheartening. But in that, then, do you see any prospect for reform in Lebanon? No, we don't want to reform the system. We want to abolish it. We want proper labour conditions for workers coming in. If you want a domestic worker, then you have to bring her in under acceptable conditions. Even the former Minister of Labour said that kafala is slavery. Like, those aren't even our words. Those aren't activist words. Those are the words of the former Minister of Labour. When he was leaving his position, he said his one regret was that he wasn't able to abolish kafala because kafala is slavery. We, we can see why. And in this, would you say that a better media coverage or a better coverage in public discussion would help the situation to improve? And, of course, your work as well. I don't know what's going to finally bring about the change, but change must come. And I think that international attention will be part of bringing in a solution. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. The Lebanese government is very sensitive to comments from foreigners on the Facebook page. They, they don't mind if a thousand domestic workers go on and say negative things. But when Westerners go on and, and comment on the posts, that worries them. So it would be really great if your listeners could follow us on all our different social media platforms and comment on the posts. That would be fabulous. Sure. We will make sure to tell our listeners. Do you hear that, guys? <laughs> Please <laughs> comment. Yes, everyone who's listening must recruit at least 10 people to follow us. Absolutely. <laughs> Please. So, of course, guys, you can go to This Is Lebanon's website and visit all the fundraising pages and see what they're doing and how they're doing it. You can also follow them on social media. You can go on Facebook. You can go on Instagram and so on. We'll put all of the links on the website about the episode. And don't forget about the domestic foreign workers in Lebanon. Yeah. Thank you, Patricia, so much for being here with us today and for giving us an insight into the situation of foreign workers in Lebanon. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure for us. And yeah, we hope to hear from you soon and hope that everything you're doing goes well. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, lovely people. That was the end of our episode on kafala workers in Lebanon. We hope you enjoy the episode and we hope that Patricia helped you understand the situation better. And if you want to help, you can always visit This Is Lebanon's website and social media. You can follow them or donate or help in any way that you can. And of course, we will put all the necessary links on our website. But most importantly, 
don't forget about your fellow workers in Lebanon. I said last time, the most meaningful way in which you can help is to keep spreading awareness about it, is to keep talking about it and hopefully bring it to attention in public discussion and really make a change. Thank you so much, lovely people, for listening to our conversation and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you for listening to The Mastery Diplomat. This episode was produced by Gloria and Sherelle. The editor is Brendan. The music in this episode is by Stone Ocean. This episode is brought to you by the students of UNU Merit, the United Nations University here in Maastricht. Thank you to This Is Lebanon for their time. You can find links to their website and social media in the description of this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and hoi hoi!